Hello and welcome to the Produce Retail Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Nickel, and I am delighted to be joined today again by Jonna Parker, the Fresh Foods Team Lead at Circana, formerly known as IRI. Jonna specializes in analyzing sales data, consumer trends, and all kinds of other sources of information to find and explore all these opportunities for fresh, including, of course, our favorite department on this podcast, which of course is produce. Jonna, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the podcast. Thanks again for having me. I am so excited. I've been doing a lot of research since we started talking last time, and I'm super excited to talk about one of my favorite topics, which is how we can use produce to, or really how we use promotion and price to drive more sales. Absolutely. And for background, for our listeners, we sort of started this conversation because I was really interested in the idea of what do we know about elasticity for different produce items? What do we know about if I increase, you know, if I decrease my price 10%, right, is kind of the classic measure. How much more volume is that going to drive for me? And I know it's going to be different every item. It's going to be different time of year. There's all these variables. And John, of course, you spend your days digging in data for exactly these kind of answers. So Let's, I know you wanted to start with kind of a a broader perspective here on the role of promotions for the store and for produce in general. And I think two places to start first is you're absolutely right. The role of volume driving activities, let's be honest, in produce, we pretty much have promotion, price promotion, Um, you know, putting it on ad, so to speak. One of the most interesting things we found at Circana is we look across the whole store. So not just fresh foods or not just produce, but every category in food and even in non-food. The because of the roller coaster we've been in as American consumers and our demand for goods and services sold through retail, we went through probably the most tumultuous change in response to price that we ever, probably, hopefully, we ever see in our lifetime. So one of the things I really wanted to mention since you started with elasticity is when we look at sensitivity to price, again, statistically, there's so much data now that we absolutely can measure the expected lift and erraticness of volume going up or down, depending on the price point. And by the way, one of our core metrics in our database that's just readily available is if a product would have been sold anyway, based on historical and forward moving averages. When we layer true sensitivity or elasticity on top of that, one of the things that's really interesting is pre-pandemic back in 2019, and even if we go farther back, the perimeter of the store, especially departments like produce and meat, elastic, we call it a direct negative one, meaning, yeah, sometimes if you go down 10%, you'll gain 10%. True. And you think about how we've always sold produce and meat. And other departments, they were used front of page in the ad to try to drive traffic. If you were trying to decide between grocery store A and grocery store B, the ideal vision that many of us still base trade calendars on is that Jane Smith is sitting down at her circular on Wednesday when they come in her newspaper and she's circling the bananas are on sale today and so are potatoes. So I'm going to go to retailer A. And to be honest, the data bore out that strategy. We were relatively consistent in sensitivity across produce, and I will say other fresh departments. We also historically were not as sensitive as center of store. 
Part of that was because Center of Store, CPG, does a lot of pantry loading promotions, high, low, fill the basket type things that are funded by suppliers. And actually trade promotional calendars, by the time we got to 2019, in other aisles like beverages, cereal, frozen fruits and vegetables, by the way, it was well worn that you were going to use data analyze how your events drove lift last year, and then set your trade calendar accordingly. In produce and meat, we still kind of do what we've always done. And to be honest, we were kind of good at it. Well, welcome to 2020. The demand for fruits and vegetables and everything changed. And then during that period of initial COVID, there weren't promotions because we didn't know where supply was coming from. And, you know, people knew what they wanted and they knew what they were going to buy. And so the actual response to price across all departments, but especially the perimeter, got less elastic during that period. It was tough in that environment. We didn't launch new things. We weren't trying to get people to try new things. We were just trying to fill the tables in produce's case, right? And the sets in order to meet the demand. And that went all the way back to the farms, not having enough supply. That even affected our seasonal categories. So categories like stone fruits and even maybe ancillary things that not every store has ubiquitously like tropicals or extended fresh herbs and leeks and, you know, okra. Those things weren't the focus. The focus was common fruits, core cooking vegetables. And so guess what? Things were very elastic during 2020, 2021. Then in produce, as well as most of the perimeter, came a little thing called inflation, which started in our departments in Q4 of 2021 as we started to see the supply strain catch up. Here's where it gets really interesting. I'm looking on my other screen if you see me. <laughs> Since the beginning of 2022, the perimeter, especially in produce, has become more elastic, whereas center of store has become more stable. Now, before we say that's entirely consumer driven, it's honestly trade strategy driven. Supply chain woes hit everyone. Further, at the same time, supply chain woes hit everyone. Traditional grocers who'd honestly used fresh foods as their mainstay while they seeded some of the CPG foods to club and big box stores. By 2022, we knew the reality that any gains grocers had made in market share during COVID had started to erode and aggressively erode in fresh foods to big box, to club, and even now to specialty and independent outlets that don't use price promotion to try to drive traffic as much. All three of those focus on EDLP and quality or assortment as their value. Now there's inflation. People are trying to decide where they're going to go for anything on top of okra and lettuce and bananas. Center store has supply chain woes. They cut back their trade spending and also use that data and science to get very specific at who and what they did. What did retailers do? Oh my gosh, I need to put on deals. I've just charged all this money for years on produce and meat, and I'm not seeing those turns. I'm going to run bunches of deals on whatever's in season. Melons had a truly crazy summer where during the summer of 2022, Meat couldn't be promoted as much as a traffic driver during grilling season. So guess what? Melons got promoted a lot. Guess what happened? Melons became more elastic because people started to wait for the melon deals, right? Cherries this season have had a tremendous run. And what's so interesting about that, of course, then retailers were leaning into promotions. On the flip side, though, this year, because of this 
we're creating the sensitivity in fresh, especially in fresh perimeter, especially produce. So cherries were EDLP and available at every single type of channel. So while the grocers were trying to use hot cherry deals to drive volume, how did that really help the overall department? And that's where I wanted to take this. Ultimately, this sitting here in the middle of 2023, we now still see that produce especially has had a drastic change in two years of how elastic it is. So if we're just going to answer the question of is produce responsive to price change, the answer is yes. But here's the sad part. So what are we going to do with that power, right? I just completed our top trends in fresh study. And one of the biggest things we wanted to take a look at was this increasingly question of shopper mindset. There's really two pervasive shopper mindsets right now guiding choice at the store and even what store you go to. One is your everyday essentials. The second is where can I get a little bit of a premium? <laughs> Produce offers both, right? We want escapes and indulgences. We also really want to get that great value. Produce is the everyday essential absolute juggernaut of the store. And we were talking before about how you can always say that, right? Produce, a lot of people buy produce. The numbers through July of 2023 show that produce is the most frequently bought department in the store and doubles the frequency of meat. By the way, this frequency is even more powerful now that we're going to more stores for anything than we ever have. Fact, the average American household makes 10 more trips to any store for food and beverage than they did pre-pandemic. We have more availability, more reason to shop around because of value and choice in that availability. So produce's role in this has become more essential. In fact, every time produce is in the basket, even though our average ring is about $3, we make up a 10th of the total ring. And before someone poo-poo's a 10th, remember, we only, we have so many more smaller trips so produce being frequent in the basket in this smaller trip phenomenon, grocers have to leverage our department, the most frequently purchased, not even for the dollar part of it, but just to capture the foot traffic. Mm -hmm. And so I hear that and couple it with the fact that most of produce has become more responsive to price. And I immediately think we have to leverage price, not just as a way to drive volume of a specific category to help that supplier and farm and that grocer on that week in that desk. How do we use this department to truly change where people shop? Well, and you mentioned that for many years, folks looked at their promotional calendar and did something often very similar to what they had done the previous year. And we were talking about other approaches. How do you get away from that a little bit and promote in a way that you're still driving traffic, you're still driving volume, but Maybe it doesn't need to be discounted 30%, maybe 10% is enough. How, how do you, you know, where do you find the data to make those decisions? How do you approach getting smarter about those promotions? Yeah, thanks for that question. Because I think I personally, people who know me in the industry know I'm more of the consumer behavior specialist. So looking at trade, and then there's certainly statisticians. I mean, this for, in fact, back when I was at Perishables Group, we partnered with literally a PhD professor to run regression modeling because back in the early 2000s, it was such a novel thing. The reality though, is data has become ubiquitous. So two big things have changed. That means we can finally sit at the table and 
behave like that. We have all the assets that we need to make the same decisions that grocery makes in order to maximize profitability and drive true incrementality. And at first and foremost, the availability of data, not just dollars and volume, but some key metrics that we calculate in the industry and just available. I'm actually looking on my other screen when I write the monthly article series with 210 Analytics for IFPA, we look at some of these measures. And I want to explain them today because they are available. And I call this level one base. We can get into elasticity. We can talk about that in a minute, about what level two would look like with prescriptive. But even if we just want to diagnose what happened, volume and dollars are one thing. Average retail price is one thing. But within the core data, you really want to take a look. We have flags and algorithms that we do in Center Store that we also do in Fresh and Produce that flag if a temporary price discount has happened. We triangulate that in the data, which is part of the base data, with any feature ad activity. Now, in CPG, they get really cute and creative. What's the placement of the ad? And was it on display? In Produce, we're always on display. We're literally front and center. So I always like to tell people the base is to go from dollars and volume and then move into price. And I think within price, you do want to understand promoted and non-promoted, but the extra measure that I really look at, and I'm looking at on my other screen and we'll get into with some example categories, what percent of your volume moved on that promotion? And for the purpose of this conversation, it's a short-term price discount. Yes, we control for seasonality. Yes, we control and call something not a short-term price discount. People always want to question the data. And yes, it's important. But I want to keep talking about the ubiquity of this because even if it's not perfect, it is still a leading indicator. And we have five years of history. So when we start to look at what share of sales moved on that promotional rate at that discounted rate, literally sold on those weeks where we gave someone a discount, the numbers are really startling. Can I ask you, Ashley, for fun, what type of what type of produce category do you think has the most amount of sales in fact the majority 60% of sales sold at a price discount i'm thinking it's got to be well we know fruit often is is promoted more than vegetables so that is absolutely true the average land of category fruit. Yeah, the average <laughs> category ranges anywhere from 7% to 60%. Oh, that's that's a much wider range than I would have thought. I will we'll say talk about it later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But then your your seasonal things, your big thing, big ring things, I was trying to say for sure, right? Your your grapes, probably. I always see the signs for berries. And honestly, those are the signs that I look for as a shopper because I'm like, oh, I really don't want to buy those at $6.99. Is there, you know. I keep it on both sides. <laughs> so you hit the nail on the head. 60% of sales in the last period, the last 52 weeks, I know these are seasonal. So remember, obviously there's periods where this isn't available is stone fruit with the most frequently per the most frequent volume drive on promotion to be with cherries. That makes sense. This year, especially. But one of the most interesting things about cherries, when you say the high dollar ring, did you know that Rainier cherries had a better volume lift this year than conventional priced cherries, whatever we want to call the base variety of cherry. We actually highlighted Rainier cherries, not because of their promotion need, but as one of the total Circana proof points that people still do like to indulge and upgrade, even when a cheaper alternative is available. Because oh. Rainier cherries had an, all of cherries had a great season, right? The biggest thing was stone fruit. Because of many reasons, 20, 21, 22, we were ready with the fruit and retailers were ready with the promotions. But everyone had cherries. Walmart had EDLP cherries all, all season, Aldi was running great sales on cherries. 
while grocers went up and down. So during this period where cherries and stone fruits had this amazing season and retailers were absolutely flooding the market with price promotion, the market share in fruit still eroded at traditional grocery. Mm. So those seasonal items, you have to recognize that when you have a lot of them volume-wise, so does everyone else in the marketplace. And if you have to compete on price promotion, you got to remember it's a frequency game. So I argue, I think the role of seasonal fruits are about how quick to market from farm to, to, to store. Did you get that fruit? That's going to be as much of a purchase driver as a 50 cent off deal. Because honestly, these are short-term items. Like you just said, you see them on sale all the time during the season. <laughs> when they're even not on sale, we've trained people not to buy them. So we have to use other metrics, other, not metrics, but other um, ways to promote these things. Mm-hmm. Fresh and crop, center of store, use your social media. It's cherry season. We have Rainier's. Did you know we partner with a farm in Washington? Those stories will drive the foot traffic and change the perception. And if you are a value-minded retailer, have multiple sizes of cherries. Because the other big thing with seasonal items and big ticket items, remember cherries, especially Rainier's, are one of the biggest ticket per pound you can do. We saw the same thing with pomegranates this year. They did well. Who would have thought with a high price point when you could buy an apple or a banana for less price per pound. But the reality is, is they offered someone an escape, make it about the escape and the freshness and what's different about your store, or you're just competing on price and everyone's competing on price. Hmm. So the seasonal aspect of it is very much seen in the data. We do see that seasonal fruits are obviously more elastic, but I think understanding the role of price, using that data, we have five years of history of good cherry seasons and bad cherry seasons, inflation and non-inflation, get that price right. Because I honestly think seasonal fruits can run an EDLP during the season, get them while we got them kind of idea. You don't need to go price promotion because you're not going to change the foot traffic. How do you get the cherries in the basket of somebody who hopped in for something else? That's about consistency and messaging. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned grapes and berries. And one of the things that shocked me when I look at just percent of sales on promotion, berries, grapes, and I'll put melons back in that in that other category. Melons also are in this, but melons are more similar. They season, obviously, promotion. Berries and grapes, which are 52-week categories at this point from a supply standpoint, they have weans and waxes. Almost 50% of their sales are sold on promotion. 50. And here's the second metric I want us to consider using because it's part of the base data set. What is the, we call it dollar trade efficiency. It's a mumbo jumbo word to say, hey, what percentage of the sales you sold on that promotion are actually incremental, Mm -hmm. are actually efficient? And so it's a number that in and of itself doesn't mean anything, but in conjunction with the percent of sales, it really does start to mean something. And then when you trend it over time, you start to see, is it worth pulling this lever? How dollar trade efficiency gets calculated is of course, we're seeing the algorithms are running through the data. Again, this is base data. This isn't advanced analytics. I could run this report where I'm looking at it right now. And really with dollar trade efficiency, we're always calculating at the item store week level, what is that rate? And so of course we can forecast in the data, what would have we expected to sell on a 52 week basis? So when that promotion gets flagged, anything that sells above what we expected on that basis, and I shouldn't say 52 weeks because I'm produce actually shorter. But at any rate, we're predicting what we should have sold when the promotion happens. Did we sell above or below that expectation? That's the percent that's efficient of dollar trade efficiency. And here's what the berry story got really interesting for me. 
49% of sales in the last 52 weeks for berries rung through the register, just pure sales. 49% of them had a short-term price discount on promotion. Only 18% of that sales was incremental. Oh, interesting. So almost 30% or... Yeah, it's a lot of math. Yeah, there's... (laughs) Can you tell that that was not my major? But me neither. But I think the way to look at it is, it sounds like a large percentage of of that product somebody would have bought it at the regular price. We have trained people to look for berry sales and grape sales. Similarly, grapes do slightly better. Grapes had forty five percent of sales on promotion. Twenty one percent was efficient. So where I'm going with that stat then is let's start to benchmark year over year. One of the benefits I will say of berries and grapes. They are seeing increasing percent of dollars on promotion. They are seeing a slight uptick in efficiency. Now, some of that is the reality of berries, grapes, and other fresh fruits are using promotion to try to get in the basket as people are looking for deals. If I would argue maybe somebody wouldn't have even bought a fresh produce, especially a grape or a berry, which is more expensive than an apple or banana, I think is the mindset of why we're promoting those categories more. We're worried about the absolute price per pound. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the bigger reason, especially as we're lapping trade calendars, is my market share is declining. I'm going to run a sale. <laughs> All of those factors, though, are intuitive. The data would actually allow us to get down and dirty on which promotions truly drove those lifts. What was the market dynamics of that week? And that sounds like you need a big old database and a lot of people with glasses on to mine it. We've actually automated those algorithms, as I mentioned, with elasticity and sensitivity. That level of forecasting and knowledge, big data is so easy now. We've come up with a way that we call always on analytics. We're literally in preparation for today. I asked my analytics team, something that would have taken us weeks and months and major investment back in my perishables group days, working with PhDs. We now have tools that automate that. So it's kind of a next level. I would say, first and foremost, the recommendation is wherever your categories may be in produce, understand not just your price dollar volume. And then obviously understand your market share and any kind of drives and swings there. But then get into, are the dollars in promotion I'm doing efficient? Because every week we can calculate that. And when you've looked at that and said, well, now what should I do? We can get into the forecasting tools and the elasticity tools that you started with here. And that next level thinking has now been automated. So I can tell you, for example, I told you all these stories about how much more sensitive things have become across fruits Mm -hmm. and especially across total fresh and total produce. However, what's been interesting about, I'm looking on the other page now at some of our sensitivity and elasticity measures and looking at it over time, lemons have actually returned to their pre-COVID inelasticness. We're cooking more at home. Lemons and fresh lemons are seen as a needful ingredient. They're typically pretty low price per uh, volume. And as we cook more and we want to cook more fresh, no big lemons are more in demand regardless of price change. Similarly, Spinach has returned to being less elastic than it used to be. Again, one of those items that you don't need to price promote, people have it on their list or not. Mm -hmm. We found similarly, we did a big study last year with our partners in the Mushroom Council. And it, again, empowered that whole industry with very specific retailer level insights. But the overall takeaway was our opportunity in mushrooms isn't necessarily use the price lever. It's to combine mushrooms because then you start to get into tier three, which is cross elasticity. And what we found was it wasn't the actual price of mushrooms that really caused erraticness. 
but mushrooms could be susceptible. There's other items in the store that are commonly paired with mushrooms go up or down the price of mushrooms or the sales results of mushrooms. I should say Mm -hmm. not the price become impacted. And that's really, as I'm summing up all this data, not everything follows the total store story. We've got staples. We've got some staples that need price promotion, (laughs) as we talked about earlier. Then we've also got some ingredients that are more susceptible to other factors than price. All of this data is so possible, but I think it's the discipline. It's the thinking about it. It's the application of it that's really the difference maker. It's We've all been doing this forever a certain way. CPG 20 years ago said the same thing. <laughs> and I just think the difference though, as I'm meeting with retailers, especially this summer, as I'm talking with suppliers, we know our backs are up against the wall. We've been through a lot of erraticness where we had natural demand and natural uh, things keeping our supply at bay. We're back to some semblance of new normal. We have all this learning. I really believe that the folks who apply it and make smarter pricing decisions, either the retailers starting to get creative with what they do promote and not promote. And I think suppliers who take control of where does my consumer respond to price and what am I susceptible to? And then feed that into a forecast and imagine then how to set your trade calendar accordingly. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's it's interesting, John, because you mentioned that that one metric, and I I believe how you explained it to me before the call too is, you know what, the the amount that you sold on promotion, did you have to promote it that much in, in order to move that much? And if the answer comes back as no, what's then the next step? Is okay. How how do I because you uh, you know you're targeting different customers, right? You have the person like me who's like, oh no, I know that they'll promote strawberries next week. I'll wait till next week. I guess. And maybe maybe that's the better question. How do you start to to woe back from to untrain the consumer from what the industry has trained them for for so long to wait for the deals? That's where I think you're right. The reality of all of this is it's going to take time. The discipline of looking at it is going to take time. Um, luckily, the energy and the expense is not there. That's the biggest part I wanted to gap. If we had talked even five years ago you know, to do a major detailed pricing study, it can still get expensive if you throw in a lot of commodities, a lot of geographies, a lot of granularity. Mm-hmm. But if you're in a single commodity PLU situation, you have five customers, easy, right? So I want to say there was, that was one gap, but then you're right. I looked at those numbers on berries and bananas. I'm sorry, not, well, bananas is always my favorite thing. I used to always use bananas to describe sensitivity and elasticity. Only 7% of bananas were sold on promotion last year. There's actually an erosion of it. So I want to say on the flip side, we don't want to say never promote, right? Yeah. But I do think it's the role of the promotion in the category, also in the category itself. So let's go back to berries. I think we've trained people to buy something from the category. So if you do razes this week, you're doing blues next week. Maybe you're doing a twofer on a couple pints the week after. But again, did you gain market share? Did you get deeper engagement? How did you use that berry promotion to promote other fruits or maybe with your spinach and talk about a spinach salad in your social media or on your digital ad, right? Like that's the difference maker. Promotion still exists the way we do it in produce based on the idea of the woman sitting at her kitchen table on Wednesday. When the reality we found this summer that 
obviously signage is the absolute generational, like number one thing when you're in the store signage. But then we secondarily said, before you decide what store you're going to go to this week, where do you search for deals? Newspaper circular far down. I mean, unless we are talking to retirees, but the number one now is digital apps. People are using retailer digital apps and even e-commerce apps to price compare. Mm-hmm. And when we do that, what is the role of that promotion? So let's go back to berries. Let's say you're now thinking about how do I use berries, which by the way, remain one of the only categories in the store growing volume and dollars. So I don't want to leave anyone thinking that we're not doing something right on berries because this <laughs> has now been the fifth year since I've been doing this. And if I go all the way back to my 2003 days, berries were still a juggernaut. So berries is a really important category. It's one of the top growing categories in the store. Every retailer needs to leverage it. How are we leveraging it though? Are we using our digital ads and connecting berries maybe at an EDLP price? Maybe maybe we do do EDLP pricing on strawberries, right? Again, look at your, we can look at shopper data to say, where are people converting the most for you? And if you do price promote it, how do you then make it about the value to produce? How do you maybe keep your strawberries at a three ninety nine because you're gapping to your local market? And you say, but if you buy berries, I'll give you you know fifty cents off a bag of spinach, or then also pick up raspberries for fifty cents. The biggest thing that we need right now in produce is cross selling. Mm-hmm. When I mentioned that we have the most frequently bought department in the store, this is the other thing I'm glad we I got to. What really astounded me. Of the top 10 most frequently purchased fresh foods, produce has eight of them. Wow. Produce has eight. The only other two that make the top 10 from any department are sliced bread in the DSD bakery aisle and ground beef. Nothing else comes close. And by the way, when we get into the top 20, Ashley, avocados and carrots have made it. (laughs) So we own the power of frequency. So number one, how do we use those more frequently purchased categories to have a great price and maybe say, hey, we know you buy these things all the time, Mr. Shopper. We're going to hold our price on them. Mm -hmm. We know that there's a lot of choices. Not only do we have the best quality, we're going to hold our price because we know you need these things all the time. But hey, we're going to give you deals to try other things, right? Have you noticed we have this tropical section? We didn't talk about tropical fruits. I did a bunch of look on this. About 37% of tropical fruit is sold on promotion but it has one of the best efficiency lifts and it's growing. People like to look for things they haven't tried before. So instead of just thinking about promoting tropicals in a vacuum, how can you use your ubiquitous fruits in an EDLP? Buy this, try that. It helps the total fruit aisle VPs bottom line. It helps the produce managers total line. And honestly, when we start to measure it, it matters to stores. We're spending less on each trip across the whole store. We need to deliver deeper baskets in produce. So I'd love to talk also about non-produce, connecting with produce, other aisles. But I think right now, especially on this podcast, what I want to plant a bug on is we have many suppliers who do multiple categories, some ubiquitous, some needing the attention and the promotion. We have retailers who obviously don't just parent one commodity desk. How do we all work together, use our frequency superpower, and use promotion differently to drive deeper baskets? Mm-hmm. That's super interesting. I think, John, the concept of finding out what those mainstays are. And I mean, this is probably something that's different by store, wouldn't, but it would not be hard to figure out. You could probably ask your produce manager and they can tell you to understand, like you said, you leverage the frequency 
You get well, people data. at the door. <laughs> Remember, every major retailer now is scrubbing their shopper data. And we have household panel now um, at, for fresh. So that's where I looked at it because you're right. We looked at this. So this was all part of our everyday essentials conversation as part of our Circana Top Trends and Fresh that we do with FMI four times a year. And to be honest, Ashley, I'm looking over on the other page at them. I didn't expect the numbers to be this high. I didn't expect this many things in the most recent period when we keep hearing consumer cost inflation and making choices. And yeah, that's happening in CPG. People are not pantry loading. We're not doing the 10 for 10s and Pop-Tarts. Maybe we are. I shouldn't say that I haven't looked at that data, but we're not, you know, the grocery category used to be where we do, you know, pantry loading, stock up on frozen deals, you know, the, the pack, the freezer sales, the, you know, here's everything in the Coca-Cola family of products on sale. When those aren't happening, fresh, A, still has to be bought frequently, <laughs> right? As we go to more trips than ever, we're still seeing fresh make up a lion's share as it always has of the basket of the trip of the pantry even, but people don't want to waste. So the goal is not to get them to buy 10 pounds of bananas when they only needed one. It's how do we just get them? We know that they're buying. Let me just read them off to you. Bananas, berries, tomatoes, and lettuce are the second through fifth most frequently purchased categories. And our lettuce category would include both lettuce as well as packaged salad. Okay. So the total aisle of lettuce and leafy greens, right? But each of those actually rank in the top 10 of most frequently bought items in the entire store let alone being two through five in, pro, in total fresh. Then we get into the next five. And again, ground beef is eight. So it's fresh onions, fresh potatoes. We are cooking at home still. 86% of meals are sourced in the home still. Mm -hmm. And we actually saw that snap back a little bit this summer with the heat and the pricing. <laughs> and then interestingly, it's apples and peppers. Peppers are the 10th most frequently bought category in fresh foods. All of these things together, you can do something all together with them, but they show you how ubiquitous this is among all American households. So yes, we absolutely can take a look at this from a specific retailer, from a specific region, or even from a specific demographic. We did something like this last year for Gen Z. And one of the things we actually found was that Gen Z is leaning more on center store and frozen than they are fresh. And so oh, shoot. what I'm saying <laughs> about all of this is we have this information. The other thing I've looked at a few times most recently, I'll just take bananas. I looked for a client this week, actually, is they're getting ready to go to a customer who's a traditional grocer. And we also are then able to see when bananas, how often do bananas make it in the basket at that grocer compared to the other stores that household shops. Oh, interesting. So we call it share of wallet. And what we found was, as is typical in most categories, like bananas or even tomatoes or onions or potatoes, you only capture a percentage of it, right? In this case, the retailer was capturing about half. What was interesting is then we're actually able to trace when they're not buying bananas at you, where else are they buying? And this is a simple report, whether it comes in our panel package. To me, it's the coolest. But I took this back to consumer, even though we started <laughs> talking about data or analytics, but what we found, and I've heard this from many a traditional grocer, they were surprised at how much they are losing to big box, to club, and even to some specialty markets that they didn't consider major competition, especially some of the regionals or division level. We see a lot of different folks popping up. And when we looked at it in common, yes, we still see the other grocer down the street in that, in that. but what was growing were more of these EDLPs. More of these, I just walked in that store because I thought it was value or I thought it was novel, right? 
And so this middle, this all things to all people, like we are in mainstream traditional grocery is really tough to sell right now. Mm -hmm. But I think I wanted to bring up that concept of share of conversion and, and leakage, because that's another key metric that we can look at that really does start to say, if I've always gapped my ad to I'm retailer A and I gapped it to retailer B, but then you start to realize, wow, I'm actually my shoppers interacting with retailer C, D, and E, it further informs that price decision. Mm-hmm. Well, and and like you mentioned, taking an, an EDLP approach to certain items and communicating that, it seems to me that with inflation being what it is. And even as inflation decreases, the consumer mindset, I think, is still very much in that place to, I think that that sounds like a very interesting strategy for a retailer to test, because if you can make that work to to give your shoppers certainty in their budget across key items like that, I can totally see how that would be, like you said, you leverage the frequency of, of produce. One other great part about that point, yes, every month we ask consumers and we have for well years now, we do a monthly survey um, and it's across everything. It's not fresh specific and it's of 2000 US households and the primary shopper in that household. And we do a lot of things that we benchmark. We have about 10 questions we've asked for three years to be able to benchmark wanes and waxes. And one of the ones we've been asking for, gosh, almost two years now, pretty much just after post-COVID was do you perceive the, it's kind of a two-part question. I'm going to butcher it a little bit. We quote it every month in our articles, but one is, do you feel that the price of food and beverages at retail is too high? We're still in the nineties on that rate. Then the second question is, and it's a perception. The reality is, you know, every, then every month somebody asks me, well, what's the actual, I go, what's the actual, because the funny part about that is because produce and meat went up first and they're so frequently bought to this day, even though produce and meat have some of the lowest inflation rates and we gap to other departments, mm-hmm. when we ask consumers that question, the majority of them still think produce and meat's too high. Yeah. So it's perception that we've created mm-hmm. and we're still in the nineties. And then more importantly, this is always the one that's an important one I want to bring up because the role of promotion, someone says exactly that is, well, I got to show my value. So I got to drop that price. Mm-hmm. And yes, when we ask then, are you doing something about this, especially consumers that are more, have more mouths to feed and, or have more, um, cost constraints, more financial constraints or financial, also the, their financial outlook is poorer. Definitely say, yes, I'm doing something about it. But the funny part about the answer to that question is looking for sales and deals more often. Number one. Number two, shopping for sales, clipping coupons. Number three is not wasting my fresh food. Number three, we've actually seen the most change of all of those factors since the begin- the end of 2021. We've seen the most change in the percentage of people who say, I'm not changing what I buy. I'm just buying less of it. And we mm-hmm. see that in the basket data. Categories are still being purchased, especially in produce, but volume per purchase is down. Mm-hmm. So again, if people are buying eight of the top 10 most frequent things still, more as much frequently. It's not about getting them to buy two pounds of bananas. It's about getting them to buy all eight of those things in your store versus bananas here and three other stores as they create value. That is what the data is. Even though their top of mind is like, I'm looking for sales and that's the why. The reality is their feet are showing us, I'm going to more places because let's be honest, fresh produce is available at C stores in decent quality these days. Now, those of us who've been to the berry fields would say it's not the same, but how many of us are there, right? The average American consumer, 
I think we quoted this last time we talked, but still when we did our 2022 consumer survey for IFPA, a quarter of people's preferred place to buy produce, preferred is, is mass super center. A quarter preferred. Preferred. Wow. So we got to be real about the role of produce in just getting feet into the store. And then we can start to think about the role of price. Well, and it's, it sounds like you really, you're going to be relying on different items. You're going to treat different items differently, depending on what you need from them, because you do want to drive those, those incremental sales on those impulse items, the seasonal things. But like you said, you want to get people leverage those, those normal everyday things to get folks in the, in the door. And by the way, buy all their other stuff, you know, while they're in there, right? Is like you mentioned, that's where we talk about cross-selling with things throughout the store, which is a whole nother conversation. And can we tell, I think I'd love to end on a really positive note of a category that I've just seen in my time in produce really take a change. I've worked in potatoes almost my entire career, right? At Perishables Group, we worked extensively in the potato category, both the grower level and the marketing board level. And one of the most interesting things about potatoes, when I've revisited it now, 15, 20 years later, is that category, as I mentioned, is still extreme frequent engagement. The volume is down, but not as much as you think, because guess what? People now see potatoes. More people are in the category because of the opportunity. There's different types of potatoes that are marketed as turnkey solutions now that cook in the microwave with seasoning in the bag. We also have seen a renaissance with the set really embracing quicker cooking cuts. Quick, I shouldn't say cuts, quicker cooking vegetables mm -hmm. and still having right size options of your core russets, your core sweets, your core reds in a bulk or packaged in multiple size varieties. The stack them high and watch them fly days are over in potatoes. It is a consumer facing category now. And therefore, I'm actually not surprised. You know, you might think sensitivity and elasticity is a great thing. And obviously within potatoes, there are elements of the category that are more price sensitive to others. I think a lot of those little potatoes utilized, not just the company, but the smaller potatoes in the category, utilize promotion as a way to trial, right? As getting you know, signs do drive attention and a big yellow brain sticker drives attention. I never want to not say that. But I think the role of the category at large most recently, it's took a turn to be slightly more elastic because I think it's getting promoted a lot this summer. But for the most part, potatoes went from being much more elastic than it is today. It is a category staple. So how do we use the category staple to drive foot traffic now? And I think, again, one of the things that the smaller potatoes have done, they appear in so many recipes. One last thought to leave you with is outside of the world of price promotion, there's the fabulous role of digital marketing. Digital marketing is so much more possible for us in produce because you can just serve an ad to just the people who bought you before. And with digital targeting now, we have purchase-based targeting where for cents on the dollar, if you're a tiny gemstone potato who finally just got distribution at, just say Giant Eagle, because it just popped in my head. Um, and so you want to serve ads to known Giant Eagle potato shoppers. You can do that with your agency for pennies. You don't have to take out an ad in the Pittsburgh Times. You can serve known potato purchasers at Giant Eagle. Hey, here's this beautiful ad on Instagram of how to use new Jonna's gemstone potatoes that just launched a Giant Eagle. That is the way to move produce and drive foot traffic. Well, and to your point, not only is it 
a gazillion times more affordable than than it would have been traditionally, it sounds like it's getting more and more easy on the execution side and the supplier to be able to do that proactively versus our traditional in-store promotion opportunities. Obviously, there's a lot of hands that have to touch the product. The, the product and execution and all those kind of things. So that's mm-hmm. another nice thing about that. Yeah. And I think, you know, I was recently talking about e-com and the world of digital at the Fresh Forward Conference. And one of the things I said was exactly right. And actually that's what literally the Kroger head of digital engagement spoke and she was fascinating. She shared that one of their most frequently watched or most frequently shared or engaged TikTok videos was someone cutting into chocolate milk. And she did it to say, hey, guys, sometimes point A doesn't equal point B, right? When it comes to digital media, I know that most produce companies have been excellent. I follow them, have excellent their own pages on Facebook or Instagram or, you know, they're working with influencers, right? And they're starting to bubble up into that. But sometimes point A doesn't equal point B. Again, if I was going to launch Jana's Gemstone Potatoes at Giant Eagle, it's a lot of G's and J's, but... (laughs) I would, the first thing I would do in my marketing campaign is look at how do I serve an Instagram ad to people who have shopped Giant Eagle and have bought potatoes there, maybe my nearest competitor. You know, I recently looked at, an, an, in the cheese category, there's now grilling cheese available. And one of the companies is called Big Moo. Very oh. cute item. I actually first encountered at a specialty cheese shop. And I've noticed by following them that whenever they're on sale, time is back to price promotion in a store, whenever they're on price discount at that retailer, they're talking to their followers and they're actually promoting it in that region, geographic fence targeting that, hey, we're on deal at Publix this week, go get your big moo. Think about how much beneficial that is to whichever retailer partner is promoting them. That's all totally possible for us in produce. And to be honest, the big guys aren't doing it as much, right? Because they're focusing where the volume is, the Pepsis and the Unilevers, obviously. Traditional grocery, all grocers and produce. I think digital is going to be our great next divide. Super. Well, as usual, Jonna, we <laughs> could talk about this stuff uh, till the cows come home, but uh, but we'll wrap it up there. Thank you so much for taking the time as always. We'll thank our listeners as well. I've been uh, been wrapping up each episode by reminding folks if you are learning from or otherwise enjoying the podcast be sure to rate and review for us that helps us keep it rolling and bring you more insight from wonderful folks like jana and um thank you all again we'll see you next week on the produce retail podcast